Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Awesome science-based episode for you this week. We have John Vaught of Front Range Bio. That's a clean stock cloning company. So they sell clones that are certified to be pesticide and disease-free. And that's a really important thing right now because it's been estimated that 80 plus percent of clones, at least in California, may have pesticides or other diseases on them, which means your end cannabis could very well have some of those things as well. We talk about the process to clean a clone and why that's important in the market to begin with. We have a lack of regulation at the FDA level that would prevent some of these things. And John's company is specifically set out to solve that problem. It's a fascinating discussion. You're going to learn a ton. It's cannabis and science this week on investing in cannabis. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. John, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited, uh, intense scientific conversation ahead of us. I think we should probably start. I always find tremendous value um, in hearing founders describe their own business. Uh, so if you would, tell us what Front, Front Range Bio is. Yeah, definitely. Front Range Biosciences is a uh, new company that is really focused on translating existing agricultural technology into uh, the cannabis space, as well as other high-value crops, uh, to bring uh, some technologies that help make uh, farmers more efficient and growers more efficient in how they grow. And uh, we're focused on two areas. The primary uh, focus is tissue culture, and it's a platform technology that we use to propagate uh, clean plants and uh, very high volumes and uh, very um, uh, reproducible uh, nature. The uh, the focus of our tissue culture program is our clean stock nursery, which is how we provide uh, clean, healthy, uh, disease-free, pesticide-free plant starts for growers and farmers. And we do this uh, both with hemp and marijuana farmers. We're also working uh, on some other crops, which uh, I, I can't get into as part of this conversation, but uh, we do have some, some projects and some other crops as well. Cool. So, so most people will understand those as clones, correct? Is that exactly? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So maybe I'll ask a basic question just to start. This show focuses largely on on sort of the the business side of cannabis and less on on the cultivation. But uh, maybe if you could just give a quick overview of why clones are so important in the ecosystem as opposed to um, just growing from seeds. Yeah, so in a plant like cannabis, uh, where you're looking for primarily uh, a female um, flowering plant uh, so that you don't have seed, um, and once again, this is, is for recreational, medical, um, nutraceutical type applications of the plant, uh, you have to propagate from clone in order to generate uh, you know, pure female stock. And you also want a perfect genetic copy of your parent material because you know what to expect from that material. And currently in this industry, there are no certified seeds yet. There are a few groups that are working on it. And as part of our varietal development program, we're also uh, making some, some uh, progress towards that direction. But it can take years to develop a certified seed uh, where you can actually rely on the characteristics of it. And even then, you still have the male-female issue, uh, which... Uh, you know, getting one male plant in an entire field or in an indoor cultivation or a greenhouse 
uh, can put seeds into your valuable flour, which uh, makes it hard um, to process and and uh, not as valuable in the, in the marketplace. So then are seeds only used sort of at the higher level, like at the genetics level, like you're talking about, or, or are there um, grows that still rely on, on seeds from, from the beginning? Yeah, there, there are grows that rely on seeds from the beginning. Generally, uh, you know, the, the smaller your volume, the smaller or the less the plant count that you're, you're trying to produce, the easier it becomes because you have to go in and sex. So you have to determine the actual sex, male, female, for each plant or each seedling. And so there are some groups that do that, and there are some uh, commercially available molecular tests that you can run, but they're still, <clears throat> they're still somewhat expensive. And uh, it's probably much more cost effective, uh, especially for a very large scale operation uh, to use clones as opposed to seed, and uh, especially for the large production lines. And for genetics and research and breeding, uh, seed is, is still uh, you know, very much in use. But for large-scale production, uh, using clones is a, a much more cost-effective way to do it at this stage of the game until we have certified seed. Got it. Got it. Thanks for that. Um, so uh, you mentioned clean about three different times in your description. Uh, and I've read reports in California that like 80-plus percent of clones have pesticides in them. Uh, and that's sort of an alarming number when you discover how many... Uh, cannabis plants come directly from clones does that mean that 86 percent or, or whatever 80 percent of cannabis in california has pesticides i mean how does that sort of reconcile you know I'd, I'd hate to jump to any conclusions there and and make a leap it is it is a single study and uh, as a scientist um you know it, it, you have to be careful about making assumptions from a single study uh, it is an alarming number and it does indicate that uh, a lot more regulation and oversight and um, and innovation uh, in, the, in the industry is required uh, to, to solve this problem. And, you know, w what I mean by that is, is you know, strict standards and, and testing. Um, and California is working very hard to, to roll some of that out. Other states are doing it as well. In Colorado, we have a fairly advanced uh, regulatory framework. And, um, you know, hats off to the regulators there. They've been working hard at it for years. Um, and it's still got a long ways to go, though. It'll take years before uh, we have a, 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 you know, a reliable regulatory framework and the testing standards are set in place. So that's that's the, the big challenge. And, uh, you know, the other piece is, is around innovation and the ability to actually produce pesticide-free plants. That's a challenge. Uh, this industry has been plagued by uh, being in the black market and being in the dark for, for you know, four or five decades now. Mm -hmm. So most growers just haven't had access to tools that would allow them to produce plants um, that will actually pass uh, regulations around pesticides. And so that's that's where we come into play. And uh, our clean stock program is really focused at providing plant starts, which is the very beginning of the supply chain for a grower and the, the entire industry, really, with clean, healthy genetics that are characterized, that come with documentation, that are certified true to type, they're pesticide free, they're disease free. That piece is something that doesn't exist today. And so implementing our clean stock program to solve this problem is, uh, is how we see uh, us helping the industry move forward and, uh, and prevent the risk to consumers where, you know, the farmers know that they get healthy uh, disease free plants and they're pesticide free to start. It enables them to uh, more seamlessly integrate those plants into their pr production program 
without having to use specific pesticides that uh, that might be uh, prevented by by regulatory. And and how does that process work? How does a clone become certified clean stock, as as you kind of branded it here? But um, you know, how how does that happen? What's that process look like? Yeah, so we use tissue culture. It's a process that's been around for for many decades. Um, there's been lots of improvements and applications and in, in different crops um, over the years. And uh, you know, this is a new crop. It's the first time uh, anybody's really applied tissue culture to uh, cannabis. Uh, there's a few other groups that are working on it as well, but. Um, it's uh, still very early and what we do is we use tissue culture which is a sterile environment of propagating plant material so we bring in uh, plant material that would come from a grower it could come from uh, you know a seed stock it, it could come from another clone uh, we take that plant material and we take it through a process called initiation which is where it's basically getting exposed to the tissue culture environment and tissue culture is an in vitro environment so what that really means is we're taking the plant out of its normal living situation where it's exposed to things like fungus, bacteria, viruses, pests like aphids, thrips, and mites. Um, and we're growing it in a sterile environment in a laboratory. It's basically like a clean room. And uh, by growing it in this, in this environment, we can maintain this disease-free status. And part of the initiation process is to get the plant acclimatized to that in vitro environment so that it can thrive and it can multiply. Then we move into multiplication, which is where you build up inventory. So you're growing more and more baby plants, if you will, um, all in this sterile environment. And these are very small little plants. Imagine uh, one inch tall plants that are in mm -hmm a Tupperware container. Got it. Uh, and so we continue to do that and then we take them through uh, a rooting process and then we take them through an acclimatization process where we bring them back out of in vitro to the in vivo, which is the standard growing environment where they're exposed to normal humidity, temperature, light, um, even pathogens again as they you know, come back out of that environment and they go into a uh, a normal grow and then uh, as they uh, become acclimatized then we harden them off and then uh, we now have a plant that has been cleaned up so we've eliminated any of the, the bacteria the fungus the viruses and the pests that uh, that might reside on this plant many of those are microscopic so you can't even see them with the naked eye and uh, we now have a clean healthy plant uh, that we can then provide back to a, uh, a farmer Got it. So it sounds very thorough, uh, but also sounds pretty expensive. Um, how does all that process sort of affect the eventual price of the clone, I guess, as it compares to other clones that may be less clean out there? Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a it's a good question on 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 uh, on, on face value on, on the surface of it. Um, yes, it, it is more expensive. Uh, tissue culture is a very labor intensive process. It can take uh, quite a long time to clean up just one single genetic line. So you have your favorite OG Kush or whatever your your genetic might be. It can take, you know, it could take six months, for example, to to take that line through the initiation process and get it back out the other end. Um, it is labor intensive. It's all about scale, though. So as you build up the scale, and so you have um, trained personnel. You have the right facilities, you have the right protocols, you have documentation in place, all of the pieces that ensure a quality controlled system. And this is very similar to manufacturing environments. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, GMP, good manufacturing practice. That's that's how we how we tackle this. You're able to 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 streamline the the process so that you can actually produce many many plants, and I mean millions of plants on an annual basis, um, and in a much more cost effective manner. So at the end of the day, it's still going to be cheaper just to go take traditional vegetative cuts from your from your mother plants. However, going through a clean stock program eventually becomes more cost effective because you have a, a much more streamlined cloning process. So, for example, plants that come out of our clean stock tissue culture program are more uniform. They're more vigorous. Mm. And you know that when you, you start them, they're healthy, they're vigorous, and they're disease-free. If you take a traditional clone, you're going to, depending on where you get it from and what we've seen in the marketplace, they're typically infested with things like thrips or mites or aphids. They often uh, frequent have, uh, frequently have other infections, whether it's things like powdery mildew. Um, there's bacterial uh, pathogens that are carried by some of those pests um, like that, uh, that can affect the plant as well. And so you see plants that are um, infected with that. The second piece is they also, many clone providers, because of this issue, are using pesticides. So now you have a plant that may be contaminated with pesticides. It's contaminated with... Uh, with other pests that have to be treated and all of those factors lead to more resources required to get that plant through production mm. so while your initial cost was low the eventual cost of getting that plant through your production cycle is actually can be much higher and then the risk so that's the last piece is the catastrophic risk so if you have let's say you commit resources for three months to growing through a cycle in a greenhouse and you've got 10,000 plants, and all of a sudden, at the end of the day, you get wiped out by powdery mildew, you get wiped out by some other infection, or you get forced to use some type of pesticide, and it tests positive for that pesticide, that entire product is no longer valuable. It's trashed. And so that can result in losses of many millions of dollars from one single incident. So when you add all of that up, at the end of the day, Using a clean stock program prevents a lot of that risk, and it actually ends up being cheaper in the long run. And this is, um, we're, not, we're not reinventing the wheel here. This is used by a lot of other very large agricultural companies that are producing many millions of plants on an annual basis. They use it to prevent their risk, and they use it to ensure a clean supply chain and a, and a, a reliable product that comes out at the end of their, uh, of their, of their production cycle. So it's, it's really looking to, to, to traditional agriculture and how they use this technology uh, to improve their process and improve, and improve their reliability. That's, that's exactly what we're doing and, and how we approach this. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, a couple of things that I want to unpack there. Where are we with the regulations, either in Colorado or, or projected in, in California? Uh, how far are we from mandating this i mean obviously that's good for your business but it sounds like it's good for the whole ecosystem and health in general uh, when when can we expect that that's going to be mandated it, it's a great question i think one of the challenges in an emerging industry like this is the ability of providers to offer the service so for example when the f regulations first rolled out here in colorado a few years ago and they required potency testing, for example. Well, that's great. It tells you how much THC is in the plant. 
and in your product so that your consumers know what they're going to get. It makes complete sense. But if you put that regulation out and there's no testing labs that offer that service or the testing labs that do offer that service can't handle the volume for the market, then now you've crippled your entire industry. And so that's a challenge that, that we see here time and time again. And so making sure that there are companies out there that can provide the services or uh, the products that meet the regulatory framework or meet the regulatory guidelines or even the, the strict regulations is the challenge. So you can't put out a regulation like, like that, meaning it has to come from a clean stock program or it has to be pesticide free until the producers can actually catch up and implement this technology. Mm. Now, there's always a balance to that. You know, you put the regulations out and then companies are forced to adapt, which will drive up the cost for a little while, but they're forced to adapt to the regulation. And we're seeing that all over the place. Uh, we see it in places like Colorado as they come out with new regulations each year. California is really just beginning to roll out their first regulations as they move into the recreational space next year. And so we're going to continue to see that evolve. And eventually what's going to be required is, uh, you know, some involvement at the federal level. Um, you know, the challenge with a state by state is you have different testing standards um, within each state. And so that that becomes a, a, a real challenge, especially if you start to think about interstate commerce someday um, as, as federal regulations roll back, um, then, you know, it, it becomes very challenging. So it, there's still a big need for that. Yeah. So does the impetus have to start with the end consumer? You know, do we just all have to be super concerned with pesticides and, and other diseases in our eventual cannabis? Is that how things change? I mean, it would seem like there would be more public outcry for, for this kind of thing. Yes, I, I think in general, consumers drive, you know, most of this, whether you're talking about food or medicine or um, or, or something like cannabis. And so I think the more people are aware, uh, the better off uh, the better off the, the industry is going to be. And as consumer makes consumers make better choices, um, you know, it, uh, it it's going to help. I, I see this. I, I spent some time in, in food, and and um, and you know, it's the same thing there. You know, when consumers start asking, you know, their uh, their restaurant or their waiter at the restaurant or um, you know, the, the guy at the meat counter at their supermarket, where their, where their products come from, you know, are they safe? How are they tested? When they begin to ask those types of questions uh, is really when the big companies have to pay attention and, and, and start to shift their practices. And so, you know, I don't want to scare everybody out there and say, you know, oh, you need to freak out because there might be pesticides in your cannabis. But it is, it is a concern. And it is something that, you know, people should be asking uh, their dispensary, their grower, um, you know, how do they do this? And, you know, and, 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 and pushing on these, on these companies uh, to put in place, you know, better standards, better quality control uh, so, that, uh, so that the consumers can get safe and clean product. How much of this is mitigated by testing labs at the you know end stage, like testing of, of the the final product? How much of this risk is is mitigated by that? I think in general it uh, it, it helps a lot. I think it it mitigates it in a pretty significant way as long as the frequency and volume of testing is high enough, um, so that you know you don't have you know if you test one batch out of every one hundred, 
you know, it's not going to be very effective. But if you're testing a batch size that's reasonable, and once again, this is this is a conversation that really has to be, you know, the growers have to, the, the companies that are involved in production have to be involved in that conversation so that they can work together with the regulators uh, to come up with a testing methodology that actually makes sense, meaning that um, it's going to allow uh, clean product to, to come through and it's going to catch the dirty product, um, but it's also not going to absolutely cripple the industry and, uh, and, and shut everything down. So it's, it's really a balance. But I think in general, the testing lab um, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's used in a lot of other industries, right? When you look at uh, food and medicine and nutraceuticals, um, you know, depending on, on what we're talking about, you know, certification testing before it goes onto the, onto the, onto the shelf for consumers really will catch, uh, you know, it, it catches a lot of things. Food safety is a great one. I spent some time in food safety and you, you hear about food recalls, whether it's ice cream or yogurt or meat or vegetables. And, you know, this is a result of, uh, of, of testing that they're, that they have to do and it catches it before it gets, gets to the consumer. So I, I think, uh, I think there is a lot of value for that in this industry. Mm-hmm. But both are required. It sounds like. I mean, why wouldn't we want to be extra safe? <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah. I, I think um, it's it's really critical. They, they the two processes work in hand hand in hand. You know, clean supply chain starting from the very beginning. It's not only that it's clean, and that I'm just saying it's clean. It's about documentation. Uh, you know, providing uh, a quality control process, uh, doing things in a GMP environment or a GMP like environment, and then being able to document that. And that's how pharmaceuticals work. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, have their issues with pharmaceuticals, and that's a whole separate conversation. But one thing that those companies do really, really well is that they ensure that their product is, is met strict quality control standards. And I know I've, I've spent some time in that, in, in that industry and working with those companies. And the level of rigor that goes into producing a, a drug, for example, is incredible. Yeah. And a lot of people take that for granted. And, you know, yeah, people occasionally make mistakes and there's issues. But, um, you know, that prevents a lot of problems for the consumer. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about decades and hundreds of millions of dollars to, to bring a, a drug to mainstream market. Right. Yeah. Or even a billion dollars. A billion dollars. Mean, is, is, you know, a billion dollars in, in 10 years is, is if you're going to go develop a new drug, that's what you're looking at. Um, so it's, you know. So, so I think looking to uh, to some of those uh, of those industries and and how we can pull some of that uh, some some of those approaches into this one is is very important and that's that's how we approach this business and it's um, how my background intersects and why I was interested in in getting into this industry is is to help bring some of that rigor some of that um, scientific uh, credential and credibility uh, to this industry so that we could help provide safer products. Uh, and help producers become more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's much needed. And I love when people use their domain expertise outside and bring into the cannabis industry. It just makes us all so much better. Um, I want to talk about just genetics and breeding a little bit in general here. Um, there's a lot of websites. There's places you can look up what kind of cannabis you have, the lineage of it. But I often find that they're sort of flawed um, and that when I get uh, I'll, I'll use an example here. You know, when I get a granddaddy perp uh, that came from some other purple and a combination of something else, it doesn't always have the effect that I would expect from a granddaddy perp. Um, and so I wonder sort of at the scientific level, 
how much breeding or genetics is left to do? You know, uh, how, how what goes into making a new strain, right? We talked about what it takes to, to create a pharmaceutical. Uh, what's the timeline? What's the cost associated with, with sort of uh, developing a new strain of cannabis, I suppose? That's a great question. And uh, I'll, I'll try to answer it as quickly as I can, but there's a lot in there. So the the first thing to look at is is what what cannabis breeding has been to date and because it was a black market um, you know outside of places like uh, like like Amsterdam um, you know in general breeding was done as you saw some one-off um, some new phenotype it came from a simple cross of, of a mother and a, and a and a father you produce a, a batch of, of progeny or children, if you will, and you take the one that you like the most, let's say, you know, it's a, a purple one or a, it has a new smell or a new flavor and you roll with it. And that's kind of the way cannabis breeding has been viewed to date. And that's because the, the growers, you know, no, no disrespect to them, but they were under the pressure of potential federal enforcement, right? They're working in a black market and so they didn't have access to some of the technology that exists today. As this market moves out of the black and, and, and into the into a legal space, and now you have companies with technology that are coming in, this is one of the things that we're very interested in as well and, and actively working on. Now you begin to apply modern agriculture, modern horticultural practice to breeding. And that changes the game. And you know, whereas previously it could take a single cycle. So you take a mother and a father, you make a new plant, and six months later you've got a seed and you know, you grow it up and you name it something and now it's this new strain. Uh, that's kind of what is, is led to the situation right now where you don't know what you're actually getting. As we move into this new era for this industry, then we're applying modern agricultural technology. And so using things like genomics, for example, but even just traditional um, characterization and documentation of the plant phenotype and taking it through multiple generations of breeding and selection where you're looking for the qualities that you care about. And not only are you looking for them to show up once, but you're looking for them to show up every single time. That's the challenge. And that actually doesn't take six months. That can take years. Hmm. If you look at other crops, you know, this one has a reasonably fast uh, cycle, a turnaround cycle. You can grow it and flower it, you know, several times a year. But, you know, some crops don't have that advantage. They can take years to reproduce. Um, but even then, you know, if you look at traditional crops, a breeding program can take five to 10 years before you actually see stabilized genetics coming out of it and actual new, new varietals, new cultivars um, that have these new traits. So it can take quite a lot of time and it takes a lot of resource uh, to do it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that, that's, that's the difference is, mm -hmm. uh, is, is where cannabis has been and, and where it's going. And so I think we're just at the beginning. This is the tip of the iceberg. And uh, there are some groups, there are groups in Israel that have done a lot of uh, pioneering work because they've been at it for, for decades. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And especially as we start to think about uh, new classes of products, nutraceuticals, even functional foods. You know, people always think about this from recreational and medical perspective. But I think this is going to dramatically affect the functional food industry as well. Um, protein and, and oils and, uh, and other interesting compounds that, that come out of this plant um, are going to be interesting from a food perspective. And all of those traits that, that provide those benefits are going to come from modern breeding programs. And then the last piece is just introducing uh, large-scale production. So how do you grow a plant, for example, 
that's more amenable to mechanical harvesting so that you can grow it in a thousand acres versus you know growing a few plants in a, in a small warehouse the difference in those two production methodologies is is vast and the need for genetics that effectively integrate into each one of those is is critical so i i think it's just the beginning yeah um without naming names how accurate are some of the online directories that claim lineage and genealogy from your experience are, are those accurate in general you know i think for the most part yes and and accurate is a great question it's it's what what is the information that you're actually trying to be accurate about and to understand based on a on a genotyping test where the plant came from you know that's not a, a very challenging thing to do um, you know you can you can look at it and say well this one definitely was related to this plant at some point um, you know and and that's that's all fine and good and, and so I think that piece is somewhat accurate the question is is what does it really mean and I think that's where there's a lot of challenges and and people assume that because it's related to this that it has to be great. It isn't necessarily there because you're related to something doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the same traits and it doesn't really tell you anything at all about how the plant's actually going to function so while it's very interesting from a scientific perspective of where did these plants come from and even from an evolutionary perspective i think from a practical perspective and a commercial uh, perspective in, in terms of of how does a farmer use that information that's where i think there's a big disconnect currently and, uh, you know, the last piece to keep in mind is that everybody thinks of next generation sequencing as this, you know, simple process where you take a plant or you take a piece of saliva or whatever, and you put it into a machine and it spits out some perfect genome. It's a lot more complicated than that. And even the most accurate approaches today, there are error rates. And so it's, it's really about statistics in, in next generation sequencing. And without getting into the weeds here, um, you know, there's a lot more to it than than looking at a small piece of the genome and being able to gather a bunch of information. And you can just look to other companies that spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year to use genomics to drive their programs. And so the the depth and the rigor that they're they're doing that at is just a whole different scale. And they've got the resources to do it, right? None of these companies in cannabis currently have those resources. So mm. uh, the ability to actually take it to that level is uh, is just not quite there yet. Yeah, speaking of sort of bigger, more capitalized companies outside of the cannabis industry, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but how long is it before one of those big providers starts making clones, is interested in cannabis genealogy? It's a, it's a great question. We're already seeing companies, uh, especially in the international realm where, uh, where regulations are different, uh, they're making, they're actively moving into the space. Um, and in this country they are as well in the united states they definitely are as well it's just in a different uh a different format i think a lot of them uh, you know they they see the industry as uh, as an interesting uh, possibility and, and a lot of potential and so you know they're paying they're paying close attention uh, and in some cases depending on the company whether it's private public and what its commercial focus is some of them have already entered the space and uh, you know, won't name names or, or get into specifics here, but but there are definitely you know very large companies that are that are that have moved into the space, and there are additional ones 
moving in. And so I, I think it's actually happened and, and it's just a, a question of, of how they, they move into the space. The other thing that I do know from, from experience is that when you look at companies um, and what companies that I would consider in like broader biotech terms or even technology terms, companies like pharmaceutical companies, companies like big agricultural companies, big food companies, you know, these companies, they're big, they're, they're global, they have huge markets that they actively participate in. And so for them to take a lot of risk and, 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 and even just to commit the resources to go down uh, this path, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense for them. And so what they generally do is they generally look to smaller, more, uh, more fluid companies, companies that can move quicker. So your, your startup companies, your smaller companies, your mid-sized companies, because they can actually go after some of these things much more effectively because they don't, they're not carrying around the, the big corporate weight of the big company. They go out, they develop the market, they develop the technology. And then as they, as they get traction and they demonstrate success, then these bigger companies will take an ownership stake or potentially acquire that company. And I've seen this time and time again, uh, especially in, in diagnostics and pharmaceuticals and agriculture, they would much rather buy than build mm -hmm. it, it's, it's easier for them they're uh they're they're not it, it takes them a lot longer for example to to go after a research project because they're such a big company it's like the difference between a cruise ship and uh and a tiny little ship that's got to navigate <laughs> through the through the icebergs right the cruise ship can take a long time to turn around whereas a small boat can turn on a dime be nimble yep got that um briefly i know we only have a couple more minutes here but briefly take me through um, kind of the economics, you know, what, what can, what does it cost you to, to create a clone and, and what can you sell it for? So as, as with any uh, new product in, uh, in, in the marketplace, you know, we're competitive with, uh, with other producers, you know, we're definitely on the higher end. What we offer is, is incredibly more valuable than what, uh, what the traditional, uh, clone nurseries are going to be able to provide. And, uh, you know, so so we're going to charge a, a higher price for that, but but the value is there, and and uh, you know the growers that uh, that have experience and that are producing at large scale, uh, they appreciate the quality and they appreciate uh, the risk mitigation, and it, it allows them to actually do their job better. You know, it's really about the supply chain. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're we're going to be competitive in in whatever market we're in. So, um, you know, we're uh, we're on the high end. I would say of uh, of of what um, what we can do, but it also depends on volume. You know, mm -hmm. we offer discounts based on volume. We offer discounts based on uh, you know putting down deposits and in long term production agreements. You know, we're really in this for the long haul. You know, we're we're trying to build relationships with quality producers, and uh, you know, and and really help solve and, and integrate ourselves into the in the supply chain. And um, Got that's growth. Can you, can you give um, some kind of scope of the size of the business today? However, you're most comfortable doing that revenue, or or you know, how, however you what what goals you're looking towards currently uh, to give us some idea for the the size of the business today. Yeah, definitely. So we've been operational for 16 months. Uh, we've raised four and a half million dollars into the company, and uh, our focus over the last 16 months is to build the first clean stock program in this plant. And it's to get the infrastructure in place. It is to get the processes in place. 
Uh, we've already begun to develop some intellectual property. So there's uh, provisional patents, uh, applications coming, coming down the line. Um, you know, getting those core pieces in place so that we can offer uh, a product that's, uh, you know, not only effective and, and meets the, the, uh, the metrics for what we're trying to do, but also that we can do it at scale. So we've really been focused on that here in Colorado and, uh, and, and getting the infrastructure in place to do that. We're also looking at other, other markets and we're actively, uh, I'm, I'm traveling to California tomorrow morning and I'm going to be there for several days. And we're, we're in process of getting the first boots on the ground in California. So expanding our, our footprint there. And uh, we will be operational in California in 2018. Uh, Got it. Several yeah. properties. And, and so we'll be scaling up there. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still, uh, we're, we're still a, a small company at this point. But we've got demand that is far beyond the capacity we can hit, even with all of the money in the world. Uh, you know, it, it takes time to build these programs. Tissue culture doesn't happen overnight. Um, clean stock nursery doesn't happen overnight. Breeding doesn't happen overnight. And so, you know, we've got the infrastructure in place and we've made the, we've, we're laying the foundation so that we can actually scale as we build more traction and as, uh, as the market grows, we can actually scale effectively and, uh, and really go out and capture a large share of the market. So that's, that's really our goal. And um, and that's and we're on track to do it. I'm I'm very impressed. I've got an amazing team um, of people. We've got a, a great group of of employees and and you know everybody from entry level laborers all the way up to uh, directors that are are really driving this process in a very a, a very efficient manner. And uh, and and we're doing a great job. And so we're on track to scale. Uh, we're going to go out and and raise an additional round uh, in early 2018. And uh, so we'll definitely stay tuned for that. And and what's the size of that round look like? Uh, how much how much additional do you think you need in the next round? It'll be a series, a, a traditional series A. I think you know. I, I think the the size of the round um, will depend on a, on a few different variables. But uh, you know, we've raised four and a half million dollars to date, and we've got more demand in a market that is growing at a you know twenty nine percent Kager. And you know, we've we've just you know, the opportunity to grow as quick as we possibly can is, is, um, is there. So I would, I would say it's going to be on the order of, of, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars is, mm-hmm. is what we would go after for a series a. And, uh, you know, we're going to use that to, uh, to basically continue the scale up and market expansion and market capture. Um, you know, we want to go out and, and, uh, and help solve this problem that we talked about at the beginning of the interview of, of the pesticides in California. Uh, you know, we, we want to continue to support growers here in Colorado as, as they deal with an, a quickly evolving market. Their prices are dropping. They have to get more efficient at what they're doing. And uh, we've got the technology and we've got the, uh, the ability to help them solve that problem. Well, John, I think that's as good a place to wrap up as any. Congratulations on the early traction. Really important work here, particularly for someone that smokes as much cannabis as I do. <laughs> I really want to know that it's clean and safe, and I'm not going to have uh, some problem later on down the road from from any of those uh, compounds, chemicals, diseases that we talked about. Uh, anything that we can help you with? Any? Are you hiring anybody? Uh, you know, what, what are you looking for today? 
Yes, we are. We're, we're actively hiring all the time. Um, everyone from uh, folks that, that work at the entry level in the laboratory and are, are doing uh, propagation all the way up to, uh, to management level folks that have experience in tissue culture, that have experience in traditional nursery, experience in, uh, in agriculture, uh, that are, are ready to, um, you know, to help us grow and, and scale the business. And so we're looking for folks uh, both here in Colorado and then we're looking for folks in, uh, in California as well as, as, we, as we build our operations there next year. Um, I think that and then just building relationships with, uh, with farmers and, and, uh, and then investors. Those are, those are our primary uh, outreach uh, goals right now and, and uh, continuing to, to build those relationships so that uh, we can continue the growth and, uh, and, uh, and, and really be successful as a, as a company. Awesome, John. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Fascinating interview. And thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thank you very much. It was, uh, it was a pleasure.